please open with me in your Bibles to Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Good morning, Old North Church. It is wonderful to be with you, even though it is virtual this morning. We look forward to seeing one another face to face in a couple of weeks, but today we are thankful to have this time gathered around the Word of God. Our text today is indeed Psalm 84. We'll be reading verses 1 through 7, really studying those verses that are in this chapter. And I pray that as Pastor Drew read that, you began to sense and see that this is a psalm that deals with longing, a strong desire. And the psalmist here is expressing a very, very strong desire to be in the presence of God. And so longing is an interesting concept. Longing is this almost visceral emotional state that we have felt at a variety of times and circumstances that results in certain behaviors. And so that's kind of going to be the, the pattern of thought today as we look at Psalm 84. What we long for impacts how we live. And I pray that as we look at this psalm, we begin to see that as we long for the presence of God, there are dramatic impacts in the way in which we walk on the earth during the days that God gives us. So let's look here at a few things, just pull a few points out as we talk about longing for God. In verses 1 through 4, the first little segment there, the psalmist begins by expressing clearly the source of his longing, namely the Almighty God, or as he says in Psalm 84, 1, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the heavenly armies. Now the psalmist is using throughout the entirety of this particular psalm a poetic approach. And now those of you who are readers of poems and maybe aspiring poets, you know that as you use imagery in poems, that the desire is that you impact the reader's emotions to help them join into the content of that which is being read. And so that's the psalmist's desire by using this poetic language. He desires for us to understand emotionally, viscerally, how much he desires and how much we should desire to be in the dwelling place, in the presence of of God. In verse 2, the psalmist says, My soul longs, yes, faints. The psalmist expresses that his desire is such, is so deep within him that it is indeed a longing, but then he almost pauses and says, No, that's not the proper word I want to use here. The proper word to give the picture of what I am feeling is actually one of fainting. 
it's a little bit of a romantic image here, a little bit of romantic language, almost a, a swooning by the psalmist. He desires to be in the presence of God in such a way that the very state of his being is fixated upon the reality of God. Almost a desperation. And so the psalmist has recognized in his own heart that there's a longing that all of humanity has. All of us have a longing for the Almighty God. I think of St. Augustine in a famous quote that many of you have heard before when he says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O God, for you have made us for yourself. It isn't just a place that we long for, but it is the God who dwells there. However, often we mistake and think that the longing in our hearts are simply for beauty or depth or maybe even experiences that are religious in nature. And so we begin to pursue maybe art or nature or cathedrals even in attempts to satisfy that longing within us. And we leave disappointed because yet again we have not had our longings met in those scenarios. Many of you know that I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis and he has a wonderful quote that I think of all the times with this when he says, beauty has smiled upon us but not to welcome us in. And in that letter called The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis is emphasizing the role that beauty has not to be an end in and of itself. Art is great. Cathedrals are beautiful. Nature moves your soul. But those things are not to be the end that we pursue. They are simply means to the end of realizing that our desires can only be met in God. And so the question that I ask as I read Psalm 84 is hopefully a question that is resonating in your own heart, and that is, why does the psalmist have such longing for God? What has the psalmist experienced in the presence of God that, long, that has caused him to long for, maybe, wait, to faint for, the presence of God. Well, as I said earlier, this is poetic language, and so there's images given to us to help us understand exactly what the psalmist is working towards. And the first image that we begin to see is verse 3. The image is that of a sparrow. Now, you might, you might remember that the sparrow is used by Jesus Christ in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 10, to address the care that God has even for the sparrows. And the descriptor that is used in Matthew chapter 10 is that sparrows are sold two for a penny. And so the image that is given to us is that these are simple, common, lowly creatures, yet God cares even for them. And here in this psalm, the psalmist uses the word sparrow, the picture of the sparrow, to help those of us who read it to understand that even those of us who are less than, who are lowly, who are the least of these, we find a home in the presence of God. That's a gigantic principle. For the reality is that the presence of God welcomes only those who recognize they are lowly. The kingdom of God welcomes only those who are aware of their broken and spiritual need. In Matthew 6, Christ clearly recognizes that and teaches that in the Beatitudes. And so, friends, the first image that is given to us is that of a sparrow. 
And the lesson that we can walk out from that image is that the psalmist has experienced a home in the presence of God. And so you and I, as lowly, humble, broken people, there is a welcoming given to us, offered to us in the presence of God. The second image in verse 3 as well is that of a swallow. Swallows are interesting birds. I've done a little bit of reading on them this week for the first time in my life. But swallows are interesting in that they are a bird that will drive you crazy if you watch them fly. There's no sense to their movements. And it's supposed to be that way because swallows primarily eat insects, obviously, and they fly matching the pattern of insects. And their wings are tailored in such a way that they can make quick darting movements. But to the eye of us as we watch them and we look at birds and we see the beautiful gliding of the bigger birds, but these little birds do not have any sort of rhythm or sense to their movement. In fact, you might even call them frantic in their movements. Back and forth, no real pattern. You get exhausted simply by watching them. Yet, we see here in verse 3 that the swallow has a nest for herself where she may lay her young in the presence of God. And so this image of the swallow tells us that in the presence of God, there is rest to be found. It's a beautiful imagery here between the sparrow and the swallow. And it reminds me of the heart of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Think of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. When Christ teaches his disciples of what his heart looks like for humanity... And Christ says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Perhaps that's you and me today. Perhaps you feel that way. And Christ promises, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What the psalmist is longing for and has experienced in the presence of God is exactly what Christ is encouraging his followers to. Come to me that you might indeed experience rest from those things that are exhausting you. Come to me where you might indeed experience a home in the midst of feeling homeless. And my prayer is that perhaps the moments of time that we find ourselves in now will help us understand that the facade of contentment, the facade of peace that we have created for ourselves, isn't as deep and thorough as we initially thought. Often in these moments, we finally can have a little bit of introspection and clarity on where our hope resides. And so I pray that as we read this, maybe we say, I need a home, I need rest, Friend, I tell you today that you can only find those things in the presence of God. And this is where we come right up against the amazing truth of the gospel. Even as Christ has invited the broken to come to him, he has come to us. That which we cannot do, friends, we cannot ascend into the presence of God on our own. God has done on our behalf by becoming man, by taking his presence into the presence of man through the saving work of Jesus Christ. I think of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. You might want to make a note in your Bible to look here to study this later or this week. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 10 says, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, 
according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. That word lavished is so rich. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his plan, which God set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things on heaven and things in earth. This is our God, inviting us to dwell in him and then coming to us to call us into his presence that we might find rest, that we might find a home, that we might find those things which we cannot on this earth. And so a psalmist goes on here in 80, Psalm 84 to talk about why he desires the presence of God, but now he speaks to the natural outflowing of living in the presence of God. Once we find our home and our rest in God's presence, the psalmist says we are blessed, which can also be translated happy. Now, happy we oftentimes think is a temperamental experience, but in this reality, happiness is a state of existence, a blessed reality. How blessed, how happy are those who make their permanent abode in the presence of God? Why are we happy? Because our soul has been delivered. And the result of that in verse 4 is that we ever sing the praise of God. There is no shortage of words to express the worth of our holy and loving God. And so as a one who has found home and a rest in the presence of God, we overflow in praise. Maybe you've experienced that beautiful frustration, I call it, when you attempt to thank God for who God is and the words just simply won't come. And if not, I invite you to think on the goodness of God. Have you spent time dwelling on His goodness, thinking on the nature of God and His great love for humanity as evidenced through the sacrificial act of Christ on our behalf? Because friends, this is the point I hope you see. Those who dwell in the presence of God have the longings of their souls realized through Jesus Christ. So as we progress now into verse 5, we see now there's a little shift where the psalmist begins to say, there now is practical reality for those who have hope in God and strength in God, and it is this. We now live as men and women who have found our rest in our home in God. We live with a hope of God filtering through all of our life. There's tremendous strength to be found in hope, just as there's tremendous weakness that results from despair. Some of you are familiar with a woman by the name of Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom was delivered to Ravensbrook Concentration Camp in February of 1944, along with her sister Betsy. The Ten Boom family was actually a family who had been in the practice of hiding their Jewish neighbors from the Gestapo until one day their neighbors betrayed them and the Gestapo's raided the Ten Boom family and took the entire family to the concentration camps. Corey and her sister were somehow able to smuggle in with them a small Bible and they would lead Bible studies on a nightly basis for the women there in their barracks. And Corey said... That as she adjusted to life in the camp, thankfulness was hard to come by. You can probably imagine that. She was bitter, angry. Despair began to settle into her heart. Yet she would watch her sister Betsy day after day read the Bible with the women in that barrack and proclaim that we are to be thankful for all things. And so Betsy said that she could be thankful for all things 
because God had told her to be thankful for all things. And Corey did not understand that. And she asked Betsy, how can you be thankful for all things? And Betsy responded, because God has commanded me and enabled me to be thankful. And I'm even thankful for these fleas. Fleas, Corey says, how can you be thankful for fleas? And Betsy told Corey, these fleas keep the guards out of our barracks because they are afraid of them. And that allows us to study the Bible every night with these women. That's why I'm thankful for these fleas. Corey, later on in her reflections, has this statement that I have written in numerous places because it is a helpful reminder. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. And so as we think about the hope of God, the hope of those who dwell in the presence of God, we see this fact, that hope in God's purpose and his faithfulness strengthens the Christian with the very strength of God. And this is what the psalmist expresses here in verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. The root of their strength is not in themselves, but it's in the God who gives strength. And so the psalmist gives us three phrases here that reflect how the strength of God is manifested in the life of his children. Verse 5, beautiful language here. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose hearts are the highways to Zion. That probably caught your eye when you read it the first time. And whose heart are the highways to Zion. As we are strengthened by God in this life, our eyes will be fixated upon God as he fixes them upon himself. And the psalmist uses the highway language here to create the idea and the picture of one who is able to move towards a destination without interruption. Our feet will be fixed on the path that is set before us and our steps will be pur purposeful to that end. Why? Because it is God's strength that empowers those steps. God's strength in the Christian gives purpose and vision for life. The second image that we see, the second phrase is verse 6 of how God's strength is manifest in the believer's life. The psalmist says, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Now the valley of Baca can be interpreted the valley of weeping. And that's the reality of our life. There are moments in life when tears and sadness consume us. We oftentimes call those moments times in the desert, times of aridness, dryness, a lack of fruit. Notice the psalmist doesn't say that the strength of God will remove all those moments from our life. However, the strength of God will indeed produce a different result for the one who dwells in the presence of God. Those arid moments will turn into times of refreshing as the spring of God's faithfulness waters the arid ground of our hearts. And this is not a Christian platitude. It really isn't. This is the reality for the Christian because we serve a God who has indeed turned the valley, the valley of Baca into a spring even for himself. For he is a God who suffers and has suffered with us. God is no stranger to suffering. This is one of the unique claims of Christianity. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we have a high priest, Jesus Christ, who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. 
He suffered as we suffer. And so as we walk through the valley of Baca, we now can see and go to our God who identifies with us and gives us strength in the midst of our suffering. God is sovereign in God is sovereign over our suffering and also present with us in the midst of it. He is a sovereign and suffering God. And so God's strength in the Christian brings life amid the weeping. And then verse 7. How is God's strength manifest in the believer, in the Christian, in the child of God? Verse 7 says, they go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. What a beautiful image here. Strength to strength. The nearer the goal, the stronger the pull. For the one who is living in the strength of God, the closer we get to the day when we see that our faith shall be sight, the reality of heaven growing near within us, it takes hold within us, spurring us on. There's a sense of urgency that grows in us as we mature in our faith and as we long for the day when faith shall be sight. It's the same sort of language that Paul reflects on in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, when he says, And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord, and we are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another, or from glory to glory. It's the idea of that which was started grows to the moment when it is completed. And notice that in verse 7, the psalmist This little phrase at the end here. Each one appears before God in Zion. There's a certain destiny for us as Christians. It's certain because it's God's strength that has brought it about. And it is God's strength that will carry us through to the end. It is certain because of the certain work of Jesus Christ. The relationship between man and God that was broken by the sin of humanity has been healed by the strength of our almighty God. And so therefore, those of us who dwell in the presence of God live in the strength of God, and His strength transforms the weak into vibrant testimonies of His grace and strength. Friends, as we close here, perhaps you can identify with the psalmist. You long to dwell in the presence of God. You hear the, presence of home, the promise of home, the promise of rest, the promise of God's strength and guidance in your life, and you recognize that you are homeless, that you are tired, that you are weak. I pray that today you will recognize that that realization in your heart is God calling you to himself. I have such great news for you today. There is not some mystical place that you have to find to dwell in the presence of God. There's not some mystical reality that you must ascend to. For it's not a place that your longing in your heart is looking for. It is a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And he has come to you. And his spirit is actively speaking, his saving work. And the invitation to come into his promised rest is being issued this very moment. May this, be, may this day be the day where you can speak the words of the psalmist that you long and faint to dwell in the presence of God. May you now love the work of Christ and may you live in his strength. Remember, those who dwell in the presence of God 
have the longings of their soul realized through Jesus Christ. For those of you who are already children of God, perhaps in these moments, the last few months, you've had moments of clarity where it's become more and more clear that we are enamored and concerned with the things of this earth. We'd rather dwell here. And we've forgotten how good and sweet it is to dwell in the presence of God. My prayer is that today would be the day where we hear the sweet invitation of the Almighty God to find our rest in Him, to find our home in Him, to sing with joy to the praise of the God who has redeemed you. Remember, hope in God's purpose and faithfulness strengthens the Christian with the very strength of God. There's a prayer that I have prayed numerous times and I want to share with you today. It's by A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, which is a book I recommend. But it reflects the idea of longing. Tozer says, and this is his prayer, O God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need for further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire O God, the triune God, I want to want Thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me Thy glory, I pray Thee, so that I may know Thee indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. And say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then, Almighty God, give me grace to rise and follow Thee up from the misty lowland where I have wandered for so long. My prayer for us today is that as we read Psalm 84, we will recognize how good our God is. And may we recognize that our hearts long to be with him. And then may we surrender to the reign and to the rule of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for this time spent in your word. I thank you, Lord, for the rich truth that Psalm 84 relays to us. And so I just pray, Lord, may your spirit do good work. May fruit be be produced as we surrender to your reign, as we respond to your invitation 